cylinder on the wall. Today's date was circled with a notation. Date tonight with Iris. Don't be late. That was underlined. Twice. I knew this date. It was the night that changed my life. Ah! I watched myself lying on the floor unconscious. When I awoke, I was unaware how my life had changed. I watched as I dried myself off and cleaned up. I was so innocent then. Look at me. Oh, gosh. I was supposed to meet Iris 15 minutes ago. I was always late. Time had a way of running away on me. Iris would always give me a hard time about it. God, Barry, you're the slowest man on earth. Not anymore. I began to run. Faster and faster. I had no idea what happened. But there I was, out running a car. The soles of my shoes were burning. Look at my face. I was afraid. And yet, I was also enjoying myself. By the time I was able to force myself to stop... my sin is when father evil starts his day he gets a little deadly deadly grounds coffee has the richest smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere it's sinfully delicious once you go deadly you never go back order yours at getdeadly.com coffee's so good it's scary What kind of a sick school is this? can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? 
I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you left the phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around and pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food! got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast and get together, have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey! I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. On our Dungeons & Dragons episode, we discussed how role-playing games never really disappeared from our pop culture, and in fact, are thriving. The same can be said for comic books. While early comics can be traced back to 18th century Japan, comic books as we now know them first truly became popular in the 1930s. The term comic book comes from the fact that newspaper comic strips, also known as the funnies, were compiled into books early on. This later changed as the format was used to display all kinds of stories that were created originally for them and covered various genres, not just comedy. The 1930s and 40s are considered the golden age of comics, while the 1950s and 60s are called the silver age of comics. The origin point of the Silver Age is generally credited with the introduction of the character The Flash in Showcase Number 4 in October of 1956. At that time, superhero comics were in a decline, and the emergence of The Flash began a renaissance of superhero books that continues to thrive today. As is evident, specifically with the massive success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, today, comic books and their stories continue to be hugely popular in several different mediums. In America, the two largest and most successful comic book publishers are Marvel Comics and DC Comics. The average person may not realize the difference between the two, but some of Marvel's most popular characters are the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Captain America, and the Avengers. DC's most popular characters are usually part of a superhero team called the Justice League, which is comprised of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and The Flash, just to name a few. In 1985, DC Comics reached its 50th anniversary of publishing comic books. To celebrate this landmark event in comics publishing history, the company put out a 12-issue miniseries titled Crisis on Infinite Earths that promised to cause major and permanent changes to occur throughout the entire DC line. This promise proved to be true as Crisis on Infinite Earths brought lasting change to DC Comics from a narrative point of view and heralded even further reaching changes for the comic book industry and fan community. So sit back and enjoy this episode as I and a new guest co-host will delve deep into the crisis and discuss its impact on the comic book industry. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. 
Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. Okay, folks, joining me today for the first time on Then Is Now is Justin Cooper. He's a prolific podcaster hosting such shows as Epic Tales from the Sewers, Geek Life HQ, and the Fantastic Podcast. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hi, thanks for having me, Roger. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for being here. So uh, before we get into today's topic, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your shows? Yeah, um, I'm an avid podcast listener myself, so uh, I decided to get into it with uh, a partner, and um, we started a show a couple years back called Justin versus Justin. We uh, ended up building on that, and that became Geek Life HQ, which is kind of our, our flagship show where we talk about all things geeky and um, a lot of movie reviews, things like that. Like we'll see recent movies go to the, go to the theaters and then uh, as we were, you know, before COVID and all that. And we would uh, kind of give an honest review of what we thought about the film. So um, there's that. And um, we talk about our week in geek. What did you do this week that was geeky? So that's kind of that one. Nice. Um, the fantastic podcast is basically a show about fans. Like if you're really passionate about something, if you're really enthused about it, we kind of, uh, focus on that one thing and try to get a couple different stories in on that one. So we've done a Jurassic park. We've done uh, weird Al Yankovic and Dr. Pimple popper. So, oh, wow. so some things like that, that's kind of fun. <laughs> and, um, the other one is Epic tales from the sewers, which, uh, is a Ninja turtles themed podcast where we go through, the comics so starting with the idw 2011 run because it's so different i wanted to start there rather than start at the very beginning because this is so different it's not like the movies or the cartoon or anything else it's it's just very different so i'm going through all of the comics and we do things like we um we interviewed uh, townsend coleman who was the original voice of michelangelo and we uh, wow. i just had an interview with uh brom revel who is the uh, artist and writer for the Jenica mini miniseries. So, so some fun stuff with comic books and movies and more to come on that. That's awesome, dude. So glad to have you. And it's so good to hear that. You know, it's funny. I, I remember when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic first came out and I was standing in the comic shop and it was in with all the new books and I looked at it and I looked at my buddy. I'm like, who the heck's going to buy that? I'm like, oh, <laughs> and I, I left. And sure enough, two months later, that issue number one was worth like 200 bucks and I was kicking myself. Yeah. Do you have any idea how much it's worth now? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. For like a, a third print of number one can go for 15 grand. Good heavens. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> it's, it's insane. I think the first run was uh limit to like 7,000 issues or something like that. Wow. Unbelievable. And I'm a collector too. You know, I would have kept it nice and had it all these years. <laughs> yeah. Well, well you, you never know what's going to be hot or not. Right. And, right, and I mean, exactly. We, we all went through the 90s with that speculators market where, you know, they made about a, a thousand copies of like Spawn number one and Youngblood and all that. And it's like that stuff's not worth the paper it's printed on at this point. Yeah, I think I have like 50 copies of X-Force number one. In, yeah, in the with each card. Yeah. Can't even give them away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually had one signed by Rob Liefeld um, maybe about two years ago. And I ended up giving it to someone and it made his day. <laughs> oh, that's good. 
it, it was awesome. funny. I met him and, and everyone's like, he's such a jerk. He's such a jerk. I'm like, wow, he was really nice to me. I'm like, he, he just, <laughs> he just asked, he's like, he's like, are you a fan or anything? I'm like, yeah, I'm a fan, you know, anything. I wasn't going to like talk to him and be like, Hey, you don't draw feet, you know, <laughs> it, right, it would right. be rude of me. <laughs> but I mean, he was just like, he was super nice. I, I showed him a picture of, of Wolverine that he drew on the back of something. He's like, Oh man, I, I forgot about that. And he signed it for me for free. I'm like, That's well, awesome. what, what more do you want? <laughs> nice. <laughs> So speaking of comics, in my intro at the top of the show, I gave a very brief history of comic books as it lead, as it led up to 1985's Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC Comics, which was a 12-issue maxi-series that celebrated DC's 50th anniversary. Now, Marvel Comics, and even though you know Marvel had been around for a while under different names like Timely and a couple of other ones since the 1930s, but they didn't officially start as Marvel Comics until the 60s, and you know they brought a fresh take on superheroes, and the superheroes were sort of mainly concentrated in New York, and um, because the, by 1985, Marvel was still so new, their continuity was relatively tight between the titles that existed in their shared universe. But DC Comics had been around for 50 years, and it suffered from all kinds of issues, not only because some writers had no regard for any kind of continuity, uh, which caused you know conflicting storylines all over the place. Uh, you had characters and situations that were created in a more innocent time, and by 1985, they were... Some were considered stupid or silly or irrelevant. And so to that end, DC, in particular writer Marv Wolfman, realized that the, uh, the quote-unquote obsessed fan-driven demand for cohesive continuity within comic book universes combined with the, you know, the creative, uh, I'm sorry, the creator-driven desire to constantly devise new scenarios and alternative narratives, it, it just led to a big, cluttered, confusing mess in the DC universe. And he felt the need that, uh, you know, the company should, or the I should say, the not the DC, but the DC universe should be streamlined. Get rid of stories or characters that conflicted or didn't work or fit into the modern world. And in this thereby would create a jumping off point for new readers who they really had no desire to go back and read 50 years worth of titles just to figure out what the heck was going on. So Crisis on Infinite Earths was born, which was a 12-issue maxi-series written by Marv Wolfman and drawn by the insanely detail-oriented artist George Perez. And Crisis is considered a watershed moment in the history of superhero comics because it allowed creators and publishers in the ensuing years to become more engaged with the histories of their publishing lines and, and to more be more fully aware of the impact that the past stories were having on the present. So, Justin, do you want to give us a, a, a synopsis of The Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, absolutely. So, as, as you mentioned, it's a 12-issue maxi-series, and um, it's, it centralizes around a couple different characters, and um, a good portion of these characters were created for this event. So, it starts out with the Monitor and, and his counterpart, the Anti-Monitor. So, you've got your kind of protagonist and antagonist. Basically, one is composed of positively charged matter, the other is negatively charged, or the Anti-Monitor. So, he has... Um, a uh, servant named Lila, who is kind of like his surrogate daughter, and she is um, a very powerful being called the Harbinger. So um, she actually works with the Monitor to try to help uh, stem the tide of this uh, looming disaster, which is like this giant entropy wave that is uh, of antimatter that is uh, destroying all of these infinite Earths. So there's another character in here called Pariah, who is uh, drawn to all these moments of of destruction and he's forced to bear witness as all these uh, all these infinite earths that he's been on 
sort of uh, dissipate into nothingness and he and he's immortal so he just constantly relives this so I, I can't think of what tragic Greek character that was like if it was Sisyphus or if it was like um, who's it Prometheus who every day like the um, the the vultures would tear out his liver right right and it would yeah so back. it's kind of like he's the Prometheus yeah. who stole the fire from the gods so kind of like that like like yeah. that sort of uh, thing and then you have um, those are the characters I think that were they were pretty much created for this sort of um, this this book. So there's going to be like your your main characters. Then everything around them is going to be all the characters on the various Earths. So you got like Earth X, Earth Earth X, Earth 32. You know, there's there's an Earth where the um, uh, World War II has been going on for 40 years. There's um, Captain Marvel's world, which you were kind of alluding to earlier. Um, there's the world where you've got the question, Blue Beetle and um, and Captain Adam from the Charlton comics. There's um, there's a world where you have Superman, but Superman is is black. And it's like, wait, this is a different take on the character. Then you've got a, a different world where um, there's different flashes in the JSA who was not in your normal DC continuity they were in a different one so all these different earths sort of uh, get mashed up into three different earths and as everything is getting destroyed it's all pushing together and you have kind of like have you ever seen what concentric circles look like in three three circles coming together that's kind of what it right. looks like so I'll, I'll pick up from there and just kind of give you the, the synopsis. So that's, that's just kind of like the, the beginning part. So at the start of Crisis of Infinite Earths, the Anti-Monitor uh, is unleashed on the DC multiverse and begins to destroy the various Earths that it comprises. The Monitor tries to recruit heroes from around the multiverse, but he's murdered by Harbinger, while Brainiac collaborates with the villains to conquer the remaining Earths. However, both heroes and villains are eventually united by the Spectre, He's uh, essentially a giant ghost who is the spirit of vengeance of like God's flaming sword, sort of something along those lines. The series concludes with Cal L, Superboy Prime, and Alexander Luther Jr. defeating the Anti Monitor at the creation of a single Earth is placed in the multiverse. Crisis on Infinite Earths is noted for its high death count. Hundreds of characters died, including DC icons Kara Zor Zorel, the original Supergirl, and Barry Allen, the Flash. So the events of this uh, resulted in the entire DCU being rebo rebooted. Right. I mean, I don't do it justice with the synopsis, but basically if you get the idea in the scope of the cast of characters is just, it's, it's nothing that has ever been seen in comics before. You know, it's every character from, from every book kind of pulled in and there's, there's kind of one character from each universe that is specialized and they focus on some characters that, that weren't really centralized, like Commandy, the last right. boy on earth. Um, yep. My favorite Ted Cord, the blue beetle. This is what brought him into the DC continuity where previously he had been with Charlton. That's right. Yep. Let's see. I want to say who else was, I mean, uncle Sam and the freedom fighters, right? <laughs> you know, your, your captain Marvel and, and the other, I want to say Keystone, Mary Marvel, Freddie, Freddie Freeman, those kind of characters. Like it brought all those in. I think, didn't even Detective Chimp and, and Tawny the Tiger showed up? Tawny the too. Tiger was definitely there. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and for the record, I love Detective Chimp. He's, he's just great. <laughs> even the stuff he's doing now, you know, with like he went from Shadow Pact and and he's in that, that book Deceased, which is kind of like the uh, Marvel Zombies, but with DC. Oh, right. OK. Yeah. And I mean, he's he's great in, in um, the Justice League Apocalypse film, too, if you've seen that one. 
Yes, I did see that one. Yeah, that was good. So when did you first read this? Um, did you know much about the DC universe before you before you did? See, that's that's the funniest thing ever, because I was not aware of this back when when it came out in 85. And I got onto this super late. I want to say this was like maybe 2000 or something like that. So so it had been a good amount of time that it was out. But I was never really into DC. I always thought it was kind of hokey. Like, all right, Batman, Superman, Aquaman. I'm like, they're all kind of hokey, whatever. I'm a Marvel guy. I was into X-Men and and Daredevil. And and I, and I still am a big Daredevil guy. But I just didn't think that they had any depth in their stories. Boy, was I wrong. Because I read this thing. And this was my gateway into DC Comics. Absolutely. I agree. Same thing for me, except I did pick it up when it first came out. And, you know, I was 15 at the time. And I really, I scoffed at DC Comics for the most part. I mean, I was familiar enough with many of the characters, but I was just like, these are so childish and cheesy stories. And um, then the, the crisis came out. I gave it a shot and it, it blew me away, you know, and um, I, I just became a DC fan after that myself. And, you know, I, I like I said, I knew some of the characters that showed up into in it, but it just opened me up to the world of a tons of characters that I'd never even heard of. But after that, I just wanted to know more. You know, and uh, I read it um, just recently again for the show here. I read the Absolute Edition, which has all kinds of extra stuff, including, you know, oh, nice. listings of all the various Earths and who lived on those Earths and all the crossover tie-ins. So that was that really kind of brought it home for me doing that reread. I'm so glad I did. The the thing I liked about this is that it's not a shallow book. You know, it's it's not like um, it's not like you're eating a cupcake. Like this is a steak dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's it's got so much to it and the detail, like as you were talking about, like the insane, insane detail of George Perez, you can find Easter eggs and things that he plants. He loves doing that kind of stuff where he's like, oh, yeah, did you see I put this person from that one issue of of uh, Teen Titans that we did in there? Right. You know, and it's like, <laughs> what? You know, it's, it's just it's it's crazy. So it's like. You've got art and writing and Marv Wolfman is, you know, he's been around forever and these guys have great synergy. They've been working since the, I want to say the early 80s at very least, maybe 81, 82 when they started off with uh, the new Teen Titans. But Wolfman's like a seasoned veteran. So oh, yeah. it's It's really good. Yeah. And so just to explain to the audience, too, we, we mentioned continuity and the whole reason for this was because the continuity was in disarray. And for those who don't know, maybe you're not a comic book reader. Continuity is basically it's a cohesiveness of story where characters from several different books or teams will, will cross over into other books and or other teams. And so, for example, if Robin's killed in a Batman comic book, he then cannot appear in Superman or a Wonder Woman book because the rules of the shared universe, the, the rules of the shared universe state that Robin is now dead. If he does reappear, the fans are going to demand some sort of an explanation, whether it's time travel, alternate Earths, or whatever. And that's what Wolfman had outlined was the problem. In fact, um, I want to read this here, what he said. He goes, writers like to complicate matters, and what began as a dream of a story, Flash of Two Worlds, had turned into a nightmare. DC continuity was so confusing, no new readers could easily understand it, while older readers had to keep up miles-long lists to set things straight. And the writers, well, we were always stumbling over each other, trying to figure out simple answers to difficult questions. <laughs> so... And some of that stuff from the golden age of like Superman, you can't even get your head wrapped around like how right. he could create like a pint sized version of himself and send him out. And you're like, this does not make sense. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, he gets all these powers from the sun. I can buy that, but he's going to make a tiny <laughs> clone from the size of his hand that he can send out. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see that. Right. Now, I had just mentioned the Flash of Two Worlds, and, you know, therein is sort of an example where basically it was uh, September of 61. It was the Flash issue number 123. And it was a story where. He, because the Flash can move so fast, he can also vibrate his own molecules. And I think, I, in fact, I read it last summer, and I can't remember if it was, um, if it was an accident or not. But I think he accidentally vibrates himself in onto a different Earth, which was Earth Two, and so that sort of created, you know, this whole thing about the multiple Earths. It's a multiverse. You know, there are there are different universes living together simultaneously, but at a separate vibrational frequency. So that lent itself for the writers to just do whatever the heck they wanted. But after a while, it just got all, you know, confused as to who was on what Earth and what continuity followed what continuity. And, you know, even I think even the longtime DC readers had trouble figuring things out. And they're kind of touching on this now with the uh, Spider-Verse over in Marvel, where right. you've got like the Into the Spider-Verse with the different versions of, of Spider-Man. But you're, you're exactly right. Flash did it first. And it's it's funny because they almost pay an homage to it in that film where Flash named himself after Jay Garrick's character because that was his hero. Right. So it's when he meets him, he knows him. He's like, oh, my goodness, it's a Flash, but I'm the Flash. You know, so right. kind of has that sort of sort of gravitas to it and i think even in the crisis the barry allen flash meets another flash who said oh my god you were fictional in my world and you were my hero you know yeah, yeah another one yeah i mean there's and there's several too and it, it's funny because this one kind of sets the stage for dc in the future and right. everything that they have uh for a while is going to be based off of this and go back to this it's to be like crisis after crisis yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, up to this point, you, there were no limited series in comic books. Marv Wolfman wanted there to be one, and he kept every time he brought up the idea, he would get shot down. And I believe this is credited as being the first limited comic book series. Yeah, I think you're right, because different than like a crossover, which would be like an existing book, they right. haven't done that yet. That would be about four years down the road. But um, this this was kind of like the largest... I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody's done it smaller, but I think this was the first. And 12 issues, is that's a year. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I mean, I think I remember, you know, watching WandaVision lately. I'm reminded of the Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries from the 80s, and which I think came after this, and that was only like six or eight issues. Yeah, I didn't think it was, it was that long. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was like even four. And then they had Wolverine, and there were so many that came after this because I think up to this point, the publishers didn't think a miniseries would work because, well, who's going to buy only four comics? You know, they figured, you know, people would want to buy a longer series when, in fact, the reverse is true. It's like a lot of people don't mind if I'm only going to buy four comics, I'm willing to invest the money in it because what the heck, you know? I think it's so funny that it's like, yeah, let's test out characters to see, you know, if they'll sell and let's give Wolverine a four-issue book. Little did they know that, like, right in the next five years, he would be in every book everywhere. Right. <laughs> and and I think this kind of sets the stage for like the Electra Assassin miniseries, which was just yep. hot on the heels of um, you know the Frank Miller run. And and when Punisher had his, he didn't have like an ongoing book forever. You know, he right. started out with that miniseries. So, right. and and this really set that stage for an event book, where you have something like I, I don't know what else would have been big at the time, but I mean Secret Wars, see uh, Secret Wars, yeah, you're you're. Um, 
Is that 12 issues as well? Yeah, I think it was. 12 issues yeah. of toy commercials. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not so good. <laughs> Secret Wars it's, 2, it's don't funny. even get me started. You can you can look back on it with fond memories and things like that because it has its moments, but it, it's so plagued with errors and all that. You could tell it was pushed out. Like right. at one point, they're like, oh, yeah, we won. Let's move on to the next challenge. We're tied up. It's like, no, that team just won. You guys were on that team. <laughs> It's like so it's it's so just funny and rushed and all that. So but um I, I can at least look back on that one and and uh, at, at very least that that gave us a lot of things too. But yeah, as as the first, I mean, I don't think that there's a better mini maxi series, anything like that, that I've run across besides Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. No, I agree. And they had a lot of issues trying to get the writers and the editors at DC on board with the concept. You know, I guess one of Marv Wolfman's biggest challenges was that his plan from day one was at the end of this, a single universe is going to be born out of the crisis. It's going to simplify the continuity and none of the heroes and villains will have remembered this. But the writers like and if they killed off something that other writers wanted to um, to use, they would just have to recreate it, but as something new, not something tied into what had come before. But the editors didn't like the concept of the characters not remembering the crisis. They felt it invalidated the book. So uh, ultimately, you know, he got outvoted and reluctantly rewrote the ending so that some of the heroes would journey back to the beginning of time. So they're there before the universe is born and then that allows them to remember the crisis but pretty much everyone else would forget it that i think that's a great way to end it well, that's the thing too you you've got characters that harken back to this all the time right like power girl her big deal is that she knows from that she's from a different earth now right. this is all this is all like dc has invented itself at least three times past this Right. So they've got uh, what was called the new 52 back in uh, 2011. Then maybe about three, four years ago, I want to say 2014 or 2016, they did something called rebirth. Right. So they've they've all gone back. So they've essentially erased crisis from any, you know, and in D.C., we we used to say, oh, it's either pre-crisis or post-crisis. Now it's pre-new 52 or post-52 or pre-rebirth or post-rebirth. But there are characters that hearken back to even remembering this, which is like three continuities ago. So it's (laughs) it's gotten to the point now where it's crazy and all that, but it's all based on on things like, okay, um, what are the fans thirsty for? Well, they, they want this, uh, you know, and, and I mean, there's just been so much material and so much good stuff. They're like, well, I guess we'll allow it. And I think they're doing a new one now called future state, right? I've, I've heard about yes, that, but yeah. I haven't read it. Yeah. So that's, um, I, I wouldn't say that that's like a reboot or anything like that, but it's definitely something that is hot on the heels of uh, death metal, which was has uh, which was just kind of the biggest issue of uh, 2020 at least, huh. which was kind of like okay, what's happening here? Uh, there's an evil Batman in every universe, but there's one that was um, uh, created called the Bat Who Laughs, and he ended up becoming a giant uh, godlike creature or something like that, and fighting the person who created this crisis on Infinite Earth. So huh. it it, tie, it ties back to that too. So then it gets into some stuff with Wonder Woman and how she kind of ascends to godhood. And then Future State is kind of everything that happens past that in the future. Right. So it's not right. just a clever title. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, it's just so much. So it, it was just an, it was a great idea and it ended up becoming somewhat of an excuse to keep reinventing and resetting everything to number one. I can't stand that. I like when a comic yeah. is at issue 597, you know? 
<laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because I, I think last year we had Detective Comics 1027. So that okay. means there's been a thousand issues of, of Batman since then. So and, and we've had Action Comics 1000 and Detective Comics 1000. So we're, we're going to have 750 issues of Wonder Woman. These these have staying power. These things have been going and been produced and they've tried to renumber them, but they always set them back. Right. I'm with you. I'm not a fan of that. I, I get you can't argue with the sales if a number one comes out or something like that. I get that. It's it's just one of those things where I'm more of a story reader and not of someone who's just like, oh, I need to collect all these number ones. Right, exactly. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcast on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. 
and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. We come from the retro future. We want you to be nostalgic for what's to come. A new channel and distribution network for smart people with bad taste featuring content from Church of the Subgenius, Creature Features, Cinema, Insomnia, Sleazy P. Martini and Guar, Troma, Corey Maccabee, Horror, Sci-Fi, Saturday Morning Cartoons, Midnight Movies, and Assorted Trash We Love. Add our channel, OSI 74, to your Roku player or visit OSI74.com. All systems go. And now, now I'm getting slightly off topic here, but um, aren't there little numbers on the corners, the top corners? I don't know if it's just Marvel or just DC that does it, but you've got, let's say it's issue four of the new Fantastic Four, but yet underneath it, it'll say, you know, 697, and that, if you're following it in continuity from when Fantastic Four was published, that's what number it would be. That could be accurate. I haven't picked up a Fantastic Four book since they came back with their number one, and I followed it to, I think, issue eight. So I, I, I couldn't say. Well, that was just an example. It could be any comic. I'm just, I was just using that as an example that I think the comic companies are starting to... They're, they're still keeping track of what number they are, but it's in like tiny print on the cover. Oh, that's a good question. I'll, I'll have to look at one of my Daredevil comics because I had Daredevil 600, and then they, they kind of started that over and... You know, that's that's a that's a must read for me. So but I think yeah. a lot of the ones that that I'm reading now are maybe either independent or haven't been around as long. And I, I definitely still read Batman and Daredevil religiously. Nice. But um, I, I, I couldn't tell you about that. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, we'll have to look and in, look into that. So, um, you know, some of the writers and editors on um, and DC at the time, they were a little hesitant to kill off characters. And, you know, Marv Wolfman had created the character of Cole in the, the new Teen Titans. Or actually, it was just the Teen Titans, I think, just months before the crisis. And then he killed her off in it. And he was basically <laughs> showing his peers that he wasn't afraid to kill off one of his own characters. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting that they did that. And, and I mean, they hit you with something that stuck in continuity for nearly 30 years. I think it was like 25 years or something like that, or, or even more until Barry Allen. Right. You know, and, and that was the one constant in comics. You know, um, Bucky came back for Captain America. Jason Todd came back and all that. But Barry Allen was dead and you could count on that. And that was that one rock. We were like, well, Barry Allen said, uh, and then he finally came back when Jeff Johns brought him back in Flash Rebirth. Right. And there was a thing about that. Um, they, uh, what was it? They, we, they debated very hotly whether they should kill Barry Allen or just strip him of his powers. 
And the winning argument was that if you took his powers away, somewhere, somewhere down the line, a lazy writer is going to look for a story ideas that would just give them back to him. So Dick Giordano, you know, he was backed by Jeanette Kahn and um, a, th- a couple other people, and they basically insisted, yeah, kill him and let him stay killed as long as, uh, you know, all of us still have our jobs. <laughs> so that's wow. why it took so long for, for Barry Allen to come back. Yeah, well, and, and I'm, I'm sure if you asked them, they would probably tell you that it wasn't the right story to bring him back yet. Right. It, it's it's funny because they've seen him in places like um, when Green Arrow died and he was he was brought back. He was brought back through like a whole bunch of different things and, and involved with like the Spectre at the time and stuff like that. But they show up in heaven and they see Barry Allen's there with Oliver Queen. So it's oh, like, oh, OK. And I'm like, that was the year 2000. So <laughs> it hadn't even happened yet. So it's like, right. oh, OK. You know, and, and they're just given credence to yep barry's here and he's still dead so (laughs) it's pretty crazy oh man and you know just putting this whole thing together they had this guy named peter sanderson who was known for being very knowledgeable about comics he was kind of a fan writer and they basically gave him access to dc's archives so from like 1981 to 83 he literally sat down read 50 years worth of comics and took notes which ended up being like two or three or i think even four large binders of just notes where he just compiled everything characters and their powers their affiliations when they first appeared and so all that information they not only used to help write the crisis, but they also used it for, for as the basis for their Who's Who series, which was similar to the uh, Marvel Universe series, where the, you basically had, you know, Spider-Man, he can lift 10 tons. and Oh, yeah, stuff. like the, yeah, that and that, that was something that after this, I think they got into like the, the trading cards where you could you could find that information readily on like those cards that they right. have. Right. So, but, but none of that existed, no internet, anything. So they, they had these things called Bibles and that would be one of them that, that, uh, as you were talking about, he had, uh, helped create. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the creative minds behind this. We, we mentioned quite a bit of Marv Wolfman and, you know, he was one of the most prolific and influential writers in, in modern comics. He started as an artist and decided that his talents lay with writing, so he co-created the the New Teen Titans. He developed Vigilante, Deathstroke the Terminator. Uh, he created Blade and Night Force for Marvel. And he even wrote quite a few novels as well as... Um, he did some episodes of the 1980s Superman animated series, as well as the Teen Titans cartoon on Cartoon Network. And this story here, Crisis on Infinite Earths, he novelized it in 2005 and added in a lot of stuff that explained what was going on and some backstory for characters. And, you know, that's one I got to get my hands on. I, I would really love to read that. Uh, you're saying the novelization of this? Yes. Yeah, I think that would be that would be interesting. As I, yeah. as I was mentioning, um, I have the... Uh, graphic audio presentation which is um, sort of like a radio play that is fully voice scripted and acted with sound effects and everything uh, for crisis and infinite earths oh that's excellent i'm not like I'll, I'll send you a clip but i'm not even sure that you can still get this because they don't have it in their market so i think that i picked it up and i think they lost the license for it because huh. i had that one i had final crisis and i had marvel civil war Wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I was hoping that's that they amazing. would do some some other ones, but they had X-Men Days of Future Past and that was pretty interesting too. So is it like is it like a, um an audiobook where someone's reading it or are there different actors for different characters? So it's got a little bit of both. You'll have a narrator who will tell you just kind of what's going on and setting the stage and give you the setting and then they'll have a full scripted 
script just going out with someone who's like, I'm Barry Allen and I'm the Flash. And ever since that day that I got hit by lightning, you know, I could run, you know, and he'll kind of go on like that. And then, you know, he'll eventually have some interaction with Green Lantern and they'll talk and banter back and forth and they'll fight someone and you'll hear their their voice. It's really it's really kind of um, they they call it um, a movie in your mind. And and it is. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. That's cool. How, were you familiar with Marv Wolfman before you read um, uh, Crisis? Only from Titans. So I, I knew his name definitely from the Titans book. I'm sure I had seen him in, in something else because I was aware of Vigilante because then I, I saw I'm like, oh, who's this guy? And, and who's Alan Moore who's writing this character? And, you know, so th- those are some big names. So I, I was definitely aware of his stuff. And everybody knows if you're an X-Men fan, you know, they, they crossed over with the Teen Titans back in the 80s. And That's right. it was Deathstroke, the Terminator versus Wolverine. And you're like, all right, let's see how this plays out. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, too. I, I definitely knew his name. I knew his name as a kid, too, because I think I read some Night Force or some of the horror comics. And uh, I always used to think, wait a minute, is that Wolfman Jack? No, it's oh, a wow. different yeah. Wolfman, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not as great. Well, he was doing Tomb of Dracula back in the day, too. That's so. what it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 In fact, I have that on a book and record. And oh, that's, no kidding. That's got to be where I probably first saw his name. <laughs> one oh, of the issues. Yeah, it's one of the issues. It's really disturbing, but... um. Uh, it, it's just so much fun, you know, to go back and read some of these things. I mean, I love the '70s Marvel comics; those are so good. It's so they're so different and yet so enjoyable, you know. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there. I I'm a big fan of Power Man and Iron Fist. Oh yeah, and, and that kind of stuff because they managed to inject a lot of heart into this and a lot of social issues and things like that. And you're like, this is not a normal character that you would see. And, right. and then like <laughs> there's some great stories like how he uh, he shakes down Dr. Doom for 200 bucks that he owes him. <laughs> it's like fantastic. You know, and it's like, oh, and, and they dealt with like so many things that you just you didn't see at the time. And it's like he's an unlikely hero. And I was a big fan. I, I still am to this day a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Every time I'm out somewhere and I happen to be wherever there are comics being sold, it could be, you know, a secondhand shop or something else. And I'll, I'll look for a power man and iron fist. I love those comics. Um, yeah. And, and they were really capitalizing on a lot of the trends back then. I, I know with your East meets the West, you know, you've, you've got, um, uh, some martial arts like Shang Chi, the Kung Fu master. Those right. are fun. Yeah. yeah. Love all those. I do. All right, I'm gonna go way off topic here, but do you remember one? It was a. It only lasted like 12 issues, but it was. It was supposed to be a regular series, but it got canceled. It was based on a real life stuntman called the Human Fly. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> I know they redid something like that with like Impact Comics in the 90s, but um, wasn't that the guy that? Um, I know they make fun of him on The Simpsons. Hello, Human Fly, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh no no. <laughs> Well, yeah, not, not, there was another character called the Fly, and he, um, he could, you know, he had like fly powers or something. No, this was a real life stuntman named the Human Fly, and supposedly he broke every bone in his body, and like sixty percent of his, of his bones were replaced with steel. Oh wow! And then his big stunt, which you can find on YouTube, is that he stood on top of a jumbo jet as it flew in the sky. Oh wow! Yeah, you could find that. It's really funny. But so anyways, wow. they made a 12-issue series out of that. And that was one of those really obscure Marvel comics that I just attached to. I loved it. It was Ghost Rider showed up in one issue. It was so much oh, fun. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. 
They're like, yeah, we're going to jump this bus or something. Yeah. Next the bad news bears. Right. <laughs> yeah, we saw crime. <laughs> He's hanging out with Scooby-Doo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I have never heard of that, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, you have to look that up. I wonder if it's, I don't know if it's collected in a, like a trade paperback or not. So then let's jump over to George Perez that we mentioned who he, you know, you can't praise the guy enough. His artwork is so beautiful. And, you know, he started drawing at age five. And, you know, back in the 70s, he worked on Marvel's Man Wolf and Sons of Tiger, The Inhumans, Fantastic Four, Marvel 2-in-1, and, of course, The Avengers, which I love his work on The Avengers. Yeah, and, um, I mean, in in the vein of of this crisis on Infinite Earth, which was, like, so huge and such an ambitious uh, undertaking, you know, he did the majority of the pencil work for Marvel's Infinity Gauntlet. That's right. Yeah. So he didn't do all of it because they, they, um, you know, he, they couldn't keep up. And and, I mean, the guy is a workhorse. He absolutely gets everything done when it's supposed to. It's just when it's an insurmountable amount of work that they give, it's like he couldn't get it all done. Unfortunately, after the crisis. So he, a lot of the the comics started over again at number one, and some of them didn't, and that's something we'll talk about in a little bit. But one of them was Wonder Woman. Oh and yeah, he I think wrote and drew that, and he did like a, a shit ton of research on Greek mythology, and that played heavily into the storylines. And it keeps going to the point when they eventually kind of retconned her story into where she is a daughter of Zeus. And, and she wasn't forged out of clay. Like, her mother lied about that. So Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it gets even better, like, down the road. And then then that became canon. So it's like, <laughs> she just gets reinvented so well. So I know. Except I know. for the new movie, which is terrible. I haven't seen that yet. I still haven't seen the first one either. Oh, the first one's great. I highly, yeah, highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too much into the DC movies, but I really hated Man of Steel. I did not like um, Batman vs. Superman. I just didn't like how they treated Superman the way they portrayed him. Uh, but I did love Shazam, and I enjoyed oh, Shazam's Aquaman. Shazam's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of, of the uh, Batman vs. Superman film. I don't like movies yeah. where Batman kills. And, and I feel like that's just a benchmark that you shouldn't you shouldn't cross. Right. And that's the one thing that the Nolan films can say out of everything. He didn't technically kill anybody. Right. Superman did. Well, kind of. Oh yeah. Well, he, you know, that's that's one of those things that really piss people off. It's like, would he really do this? Right. And I guess we have to accept that this is the fact that he's gonna have to cross that in in this film. That's who this Superman is. Yeah. You know. So then, I, I was oh, gonna go ask you: Have you ever read a book called um, "Incredible Hulk: Future Imperfect," written by Larry David with art by George Perez? I'm familiar with it, but I've never read it. It is phenomenal. So if, if anyone out there is looking for some really good, like a really good kind of like post-apocalyptic future um, that involves the Hulk, this is it. It's it's just phenomenal. And, and these characters, like this was written in 1992. This is actually coming back into continuity now with a, with a, a Hulk from the future called the Maestro. So I, I would uh, I would say check that one out. Oh, definitely. Is Perez still working? Uh, he actually just retired two years ago. Oh, too bad. Yeah, I, I saw him at one of his last um, his last Comic Cons. He was he was taking very few sort of um, like uh, commissions and all that, but he had the longest line that I've ever seen for wow. people who were coming to get his autograph and stuff like that. So this was at um, I want to say it was at Wizard World or C two E two in Chicago. Oh, okay, nice. 
Yeah, so they ended up going through, um, because of the strain of the workloads and the deadlines on this one comic, they ended up going through three inkers. Yeah, I saw that. And, yeah. and those are high those are high profile inkers. Oh yeah. I mean Dick Giordano, who was previously the editor in chief of the Chowton line of comics, he became the he was basically DC's vice president and executive editor from during this run from eighty three to ninety three. Um so he he's credited as, as being instrumental in shaping the current DC universe. Yeah, and I think in the book that I have, he actually writes the uh he writes the forward for this. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And then we had Jerry Ordway, who started inking on the All-Star Squadron, and he worked on Infinity Inc., and then after the crisis, he did the um, Adventures of Superman in 86, and uh, he's later known for doing the revival of Captain Marvel, which is well-regarded. That's what I know him from, from doing yeah. that book, and and that's the book that doesn't get probably enough credit, that he did a phenomenal job, and, and a lot of the stuff that he did, that was kind of, they, they changed it up, where um, when Billy Batson is a kid, he's a different person than when he is, um, when he is Shazam or Captain Marvel. Right. That's why Captain Marvel is different. But then they changed it to where it's like, Oh yeah, Billy's a kid. And now he's an adult uh, kid in an adult's body. So yeah. Like they had changed it. <laughs> and, and it seems like it's so rudimentary, like, Oh yeah, no, of course that makes sense. But it's like, no, that was kind of like two completely different characters. So, right. That's, uh, which I think, as much as I really enjoy Shazam and, and Captain Marvel, I like um, uh, the, the uh, Miracle Man, the way they portrayed that, that Alan Moore wrote. Did you ever oh, read that? Oh, wow, the, yeah. The comics? That's, <laughs> <whew>. Yeah. <laughs> that's a book, huh? Yeah. Wow. That, that is like, um, that's like a Tales from the Crypt if they made uh, superheroes. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's and so dark, but it's it's so poignant and so pointed and so political and so... You know, just like it, it really has teeth, you know, yeah. and anyone who reads that book is probably not the same afterward. Right. You know, it's going right. to change a little piece of you. So, yeah, but it's so important. Right. Absolutely. I highly recommend that too, Miracle Man. I think I think that is collected in trades. It is. And now um, now Marvel owns the rights to that. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a funny turn of events. Oh my goodness, that's weird, but yeah. And there was a whole controversy with that and the actually the Captain Marvel family because they he was called Marvel Man, I think, originally. And I, I think he was an older character and Alan Moore took him and did his whole, like the Watchmen were supposed to be the Chowton characters, Miracle Man was also supposed to be an older character. But they had issues not only with Marvel's Captain Marvel, but also DC's Captain Marvel. So instead of calling him Marvel Man, they changed it to Miracle Man, if, if memory serves. Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of what happened. I believe there was a big lawsuit about that, but, you know, there was something going on and they were published in the UK. So, you know, it took a while, but they uh, they had long, long fingers. So they, they yeah. made it happen. <laughs> it, but I mean, the the Miracle Man run had Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman on it, which right. are two of the most prolific you know, creators of like the, the 80s to early 90s and, and still today with Neil Gaiman with things like American Gods and Coraline and all that. Like right. that's where he started between this and, and, you know, you have Swamp Thing and, you know, the the Endless Sandman. and Sandman and, and all that. So, you know, that was right in there in like this this little uh, DC Vertigo line that they had that was just huge yeah that was another thing i i thought that really brought dc up in my eyes was when they did vertigo i mean e <clears throat> vertigo i'm sorry but even though um marvel had epic 
which was sort of their adult storyline. It really wasn't until Marvel Knights that I think they started to get into really uh, doing the superhero stories uh, as, you know, uh, adult-oriented. With your Alan Moore and Alan Davis doing um, the Captain Britain, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So but it's DC funny, did um, we did have a, a cameo appearance in here of Swamp Thing and John Constantine. That's so it right. does tie in. So that, that uh, reality and all that does tie into all how the crisis went. Right. And um, I'll, I'll touch on some of those those crossovers at, at a later point. But the last inker I just wanted to mention of the three inkers was Mike DiCarlo. And he was also at the time was a very prolific inker and sought after. He did Brave and the Bold and Warlord and Omega Man and Vigilante, which I, I may, may have failed to mention that Vigilante was one of my favorite comics when that came out in the 80s. Um, and I guess nowadays he does more humorous stuff like Archie and Looney Tunes and the Powerpuff Girls. But... You he know. is he is most known, I think, for Archie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like his big thing. So, yeah, so, so yeah, so uh, there's there's so much to this. I mean, we probably could talk for hours on it. But so we talked about this a couple times here. The Charlton line of comics, which was Charlton was an American comic book publisher, and they had you know quite a few action heroes like Captain Adam, Blue Beetle, the Question, the Nightshade, the Peacemaker. Which nowadays they're all. Everyone knows them as being a DC comic, but they weren't acquired by DC until the early 80s. And, um, you know, basically, they I think they were supposed to be on Earth 4, but during the crisis, and now they're on just, they're just part of the main continuity, right? Yeah, they, um, and, and Blue Beetle, for the record, is like one of my all-time favorite characters. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Booster Gold, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were like the comedy team. Once, you know, the Justice League revamp came out after post-crisis, they were like, they were like a comedy duo. They are the standard that everybody holds uh, comedic duos in comics to. Right. So <laughs> the best, and I will never forget this. And sometimes I'll even send the um, the panel, the comic panel. Um, if someone sends me something funny, I'll send the comic panel back of Blue Beetle going bwahaha. Because oh, I love it. <laughs> because Batman punches Guy Gardner in the face, and he just goes down like a ton of One bricks. One punch. One punch. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Beetle's like wiping the tears from his eyes. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned Guy Gardner because he becomes a Green Lantern again in Crisis. That's right. That's right. Yep, you know, yep. it's and I mean all these huge little milestones that don't seem big, but then when you go back and you read it, like that's when that happened. I had yeah. no idea. Like, oh, who's Solovar? Oh, he's the king of this. Well, eventually that's going to be a problem when Grodd comes in. You know, what's going on with with this character? Oh, well, you know, they weren't here before, but now they're here. Yeah. So yeah. it's it plants so many little seeds. Yeah. Which you don't even notice. I mean, there's so much. The breadth and scope of this thing, it's it's unbelievable. It, it has to be reread many times to truly oh, get yeah. a, you know a, a good percentage of it. <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing in Crisis that is relevant to today is that it was the place where Superboy Prime left his universe and his his universe died and all that, and we got Superboy Prime. Right. He becomes such a pivotal character going forward. You know, to like. I could I could say ten years ago he was huge, and I could say a month ago he was huge. So no, wait a minute, I'm confused because I remember Superboy Prime after the crisis. They he he had somehow been saved in this pocket dimension where the whole world was still sort of like 1950s Kansas, and then there was this conflict because in the original continuity, Superboy inspired the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century to become heroes. So they had to go, well, wait a minute, if Superboy never existed, what do we do? So it was Superboy from Earth Prime that did that, yet 
there was some some occurrence and I forgot what it was that was going to destroy the universes and he ended up having to hold like two ends of two giant cables together and let the electricity pour through him to save the universe and then he croaked. And and see that's that's the thing with Superboy Prime, he comes back in in a infinite crisis, right? Which is uh many many years ago at this point it was uh at least like 10 or 11 years and he's the bad guy. So he's oh. he's the guy like <laughs> everything happens because of him. And then he comes back several times. And you're like, oh, what's going on? And and you see him every once in a while in like a science cell on Oa or something like that. Um, but uh, but he is the big bad. And it all started from here. Oh, wow. OK. Wow. I did not know that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. It's it's cool. And, and that's the thing, like. When, when they have gone and reinvented themselves as a company each time, there's some breadcrumbs that they leave behind. Right. You'll see them in, like, the big books. Like, I was talking about Batman Metal and, most recently, Batman um, Batman Death Metal. But there's also books like Doomsday Clock that, that will go back to some pre, pre-crisis uh, sort of things because um, that all goes back to Watchmen. So oh, okay. and, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. So uh, but Watchmen probably happened, what, two years? It was what, 87? So two years so, after yeah. Crisis. Yeah. So otherwise, you probably would have seen some of those characters in here. But yeah, that's true. But every every once in a while, they'll go back to pre-crisis uh, continuity for like one little thing, like tiny breadcrumb or something like that. Like, oh, do you remember that time that, you know, uh, John Stewart destroyed an entire planet? Well, it didn't happen in New 52, and it didn't happen in, you know, um, the Rebirth universe. But sometimes they'll reference one of those things in, like, a big crisis. Right, okay. That's kind of where it comes back into it. Interesting, interesting. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run something by you here, and I want to test your memory because I swear to God, are you familiar with the Mandela effect? Yes. Okay. Yeah, like Berenstein, Berenstein. Yes, okay. Yep. I feel after reading rereading the crisis recently i feel that i have discovered my own mandela effect because now hear me out first and then i want your opinion i remember from reading this originally back in 85 and 86 i remember that there was a scene where the flash was running on the tread the treadmill the cosmic treadmill he had to stay on it he couldn't stop because if because he was holding the universes together and if he stopped everything would collapse so and we'll jump ahead and talk about the TV shows in a little bit. But when they did the crisis on TV, I was eagerly awaiting that scene because I remember vividly like him running in the comics, running, running, running. And then his body starts to disintegrate. And like all you can see is like the costume with a skull and then the skull turns to dust. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hope they do that on the show. I hope they do that on the show. And they did. They had the John Wesley ship flash running on the treadmill and he couldn't stop. And he was doing the same thing, whether it was to power down a machine or whatnot. And I was so excited. And then I reread this and that's not how it happened at all. Like, do you remember I'm that? I'm pretty sure that that is from Crisis on Multiple Earths, which was which was different. That was the um, the JSA crossing over with the JLA, and you had like a different flight. So they made an animated series, uh, a movie of this Crisis on Multiple Earths. It was written by Dwayne McDuffie, uh, and it was it was based on that original story. And I believe that has it that in it because it was a crossover with the crime syndicate, if you're familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. So, so you had Johnny quick 
And uh, Johnny Quick was kind of like the knockoff Flash from the crime syndicate where they right, had Ultraman right. instead of Superman and Owlman instead of Batman. Yep. But Batman kind of tricked Johnny Quick into sacrificing himself to save everything. And it was exactly like you're depicting it there on the treadmill sure. where he did. So that's that's my main point. For, but I think it's from that one. I think it's from... Uh, crisis on multiple earths and was that a comic too or just an animated movie it, it was a comic i don't think it played out exactly the same way as mm-hmm. as that but i remember that piece from that animated film That's that uh they were doing that i don't know if i've ever, ever seen that it's just weird it's, it's a good really... one yeah if, if you have hbo max i i don't oh, know yeah. if they still have have all of them on it but they they used to have all of them on the dc uh universe yeah. app yeah. so uh you probably find it on there it's it's, it's a pretty good watch Okay, yeah, I was watching them on DC, and then DC stopped doing them, and I jumped over. I had to wait for HBO Max to be available where I am. Yeah. Then I finally got that. But, um, yeah, so I just thought that was weird because they did that scene, though. Well, I guess if that animated movie was there or there was a comic, then they could have taken that from there with John Wesley Shipp running on the treadmill. They did, yeah. But it's just funny because I'm reading this, and, and he's running around this machine, and it wasn't even on a treadmill, and he's like, oh, yeah, I can't stop, I can't stop. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then he does the whole turn to a skull and, and die thing, and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> Can I just say how excited I was to see my Flash you know, from, yeah, 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 from being yeah. a kid in, in that 26 episode series that they probably ran for, you know, like way longer than it should have and all that. Like, and I'm just like, maybe yeah. they'll make new episodes. Oh, Mark Hamill's on. Oh, OK. You know, it's <laughs> and I just like, wow, that was that was the coolest thing when I was a kid. I'm like, we've got Batman in the movie. And we got Flash on TV. So. Right. And I just wished. I, well, when when the new Flash series first started, I was hoping they would use the old theme song because that Danny Elfman oh, theme song yeah. is so iconic. It's it's got some similarities, but yeah, I mean that's that's a some great music. I didn't yeah. know he also wrote Tales from the Crypt. That's so right. it's, yep. it's it's so funny. Like some of the things it's like, okay, everything kind of sounds like Batman and Beetlejuice anyway, but Right, you know, right. Like, <laughs> as long as it's not doesn't sound like Oingo Boingo, I think we're okay. Well it's a dead man's party. Who could ask for more? <laughs> I mean don't ask me another one. <laughs> I only know that from from was that class or Yeah. Oh I can't remember. Or back to school. That's back what... to school, that's right. <laughs> that's all I know. Yeah. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio.
and kittens, do you remember the 50s? Jukeboxes, hot rods, malt shops, and sock hops. No, not really. Oh, well, do you remember that TV show Happy Days? You know, Fonzie and Richie and all like that? A, sit on it, etc.? Kind of. Then join us for These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast where we watch every episode and give you the lowdown on what it all means. Find us at thesedaysareours.libsyn.com and follow us on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. Be there or be square. You're sure you don't remember Sock Hops? Sorry, no. Okay, then. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Oh, hey there, Count Panic. I got a question for you. What's that, Bob? What do you know about Mothman, the Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, demons, and things that go bump in the night? Not much, Bob. Well, lucky for you, we host a podcast called Bob After Dark, where we talk about legends, lore, and the supernatural. Wow, where can I find this podcast? Wherever you find your great podcasts at. So, now, since we you had, back in the 30s and 40s, you had... Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice Society, that's when they were all created, and, you know, those three were on the team and everything, and um, by the 60s, they had sort of started to reinvent these characters, um, so they they basically relegated these guys to Earth 2, but then now you've got the crisis, and all these Earths are coming together, and you've got Superman from Earth 1 and Superman from Earth 2 who has, you know, gray salt and pepper on the sides of his hair like, you know, Doctor Strange or Reed Richards. And, you know, so he's supposed to be older and Lois yeah, Lane's like older. Yeah, Richards. Yeah. And, you know, Wonder Woman's got gray in her hair. And, you know, they had these older versions of the characters. And they had trouble, I think, when they were creating the crisis to figure out what to do with these characters, you know. But I really liked how the original Superman, the one with the gray in his hair, he, when the continuities merged... And his universe was basically gone, but he remembered everything. And his Lois was gone. He just lost his mind. And I thought they handled that very well. Well, I mean, he, he ends up getting that reward afterwards, too, where Alexander Luther says, I saved one last thing from your world, and it happens right. to be his wife. And and they will come back to that in later continuity, and he will come back as a character with Superboy and all that, too. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah, they they bring it. Yeah, if you if you get a chance, you might want to check out Infinite Crisis. Yeah, I think when it first came out, I started to read it, and then for whatever reason, comics was just getting more and more expensive. And I, uh, what year did that come out? Uh, I should know this. Um, I want to say two thousand seven. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I I had kids at that point, so buying comics was starting to have to go away. <laughs> well, the the cool thing about this is they had my favorite comic ever is uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, and the um the front cover is is uh, a combination of Alex Ross and Jim Lee art, I believe. Oh, so okay. it's it's fantastically painted and it's just absolutely beautiful. And it's the story of Ted Cord the Blue Beetle who is investigating Maxwell Lord, and he he tries to find something out he goes to every superhero to pull out whatever favors he can and nobody thinks that he's worth anything nobody thinks he got it now 
the the whole crux of the story here is that he did the one thing that even Batman couldn't do. He solved the crime. But the problem for it is he got killed for it. And oh, it was okay. just one of those things. So it's like, all right, that set everything into motion. So after that countdown to Infinite Crisis, then we get into Infinite Crisis, which ties back directly to Crisis on Infinite Earths, which then ties into what we call 52. So right. 52 was a weekly book that they had done from DC. So it was post-Infinite Crisis. There's no Batman. There's no Wonder Woman. There's no Superman after this. This is everybody else and what's going on in the DC universe in a weekly book. It was great. I, I do remember that. Yeah, I remember that. That's yeah. It's it's funny though how it just seems like they're they're starting to muddle up the continuity again. <laughs> well, see, after that, they um, let's see, they they probably went a couple years and then they rebooted everything to that new fifty two because they they had the similar feeling. But yeah. I, I'll tell you, from that fifty two run on, you got some of the best character work that that you probably ever see in dc with jeff johns doing books like uh, green lantern rebirth I, I think from there was uh the booster gold series that i absolutely adore also jeff johns and um just some really good stuff i think that the secret six was around there with uh, gail simone and um suicide squad and some really good batman stuff so there there was just like a lot of stuff that was really good at that point but then they go and and they change it <laughs> they changed <Yeah>. everything <laughs> oh man and it's all some... built upon crisis on infinite earth which is my right. main point so right exactly so there's so much out there for people to discover and um you know i just wanted to touch again on on the original wonder woman and batman and superman I guess uh, Roy Thomas was the guy who was sort of the editor of all the Justice Society books, the, the All-Star Squadron, Infinity, Inc., and all those. And um, he was promised that he, after the crisis he'd be able to keep the Golden Age Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman in his books. But he later found out at a convention that DC was going to wipe them from continuity, along with the original Green Arrow and Speedy. And I guess he was, like, pissed off and devastated after this. He was just like, because he had plans for those characters. Wow, that's so funny. Yeah. And I mean, plans for the characters, it's, I don't know that it would have worked out better than this. So I, I guess it's like one of those things. Um, I, I had a conversation one time with Chris Claremont after um, a convention. I had gone to see him and all that. And I, I was talking to him about what his plans were for Wolverine. And and he, he goes off on this, this whole thing about how Wolverine should have ended up with Jean Grey and they'd be together until, you know, the universe, they shut off the lights. And then when it starts up again, and I'm like, OK, that's not what happened. But that was right. his vision of, of what would have happened and all that. So maybe that was that was kind of like like their sort of thing. But yeah. I mean, if you don't own these characters, you have to you only get your limited time to play with them. So you, you really, you know, you don't have control over what's going on. Exactly, and it would have been too confusing with two different Supermans and two different Batmans. It would have defeated the whole point of the crisis. Yeah, and I mean, at, at, at this point, I don't even know how many Batman there are. You know, uh, right. after the, the Batman Metal series where there's every infinite world has its own Batman and they all get together to fight everybody, so... That's crazy. That's, that's literally... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is yeah, great book though I'll, I'll tell you that scott snyder and uh, greg capullo did the uh the work on that so that's that's a really good one too all these these great reading opportunities for your listeners roger so exactly exactly so <laughs> folks out there just take notes now one of the major things of course that happens in this comic is that supergirl dies 
And they basically, I think initially they were like, well, she's just a female version of Superman, so we don't really, really don't need the character. But then the Supergirl movie came out in 84. Oh, and they yeah. were worried that if it was a hit, they'd have to keep the character. And then ultimately it bombed at the box office. So, the, so Jeanette Kahn was like, okay, yeah, and she approved killing her off. <laughs> I saw that movie in the drive-in. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's just, it's like, and still to this day, I have fond memories of that film just uh, from nice. seeing it. And it's it's not terrible. And I've seen so many worse superhero movies. Right, right. It's not that awful. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it didn't grab you. You know, it's like, if you ask me if I like a contemporary movie better than that, I'll tell you, how about Kroll? But, uh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But it's not a terrible oh, movie. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it is a great movie. Let's see. So you, you had this thing. The way they set it up was they basically told the writers and the editors to start putting... You could do cameos. You could start mentioning the crisis. So they would have the monitor show up in a panel here and there in certain comic books. And... Uh, Marv Wolfman basically told the writers, if you use the monitor, only use him twice because he's going to be gone after 1985. And so, Marv wanted all the comics to restart with issue one. And Dick Giordano disagreed. He he believed that a fight with the writers and editors was not going to be winnable. So, and I guess later on in Dick Giordano's biography, he basically admitted that it was probably a tactical error and maybe he should have gone along with Marv's suggestion. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty big of him to even admit being wrong. Right. I know. (laughs) But they had, uh, you know, so many things of, you know, behind the scenes trying to... um, Trying to figure out what to do. I mean, you got to imagine this company wasn't like Marvel. Marvel had what, like a handful of guys working on these books, and DC had tons and tons of artists and writers and editors, and you know, they just trying to wrangle them all together was a Herculean effort. Let alone put out what they did. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, and, and there was a lot going on. And I mean, this was a time where they were just pushing out books. Yeah, we had we had books that were were tie-ins to action figures and to movies, and there were whole divisions of things. I think like I think like Muppet Babies had a book, you know, like everybody yeah. had a book, you know. <laughs> it's like oh, of course, you know, New Kids on the Block had a book. It's like oh, right, we'll get right. someone to write it. Who's writing this? <laughs> oh, the guy that created uh, Starfire. You know, it's like oh, okay, also yeah. Marv Wolfman, but still, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. But this this book, this Crisis on Infinite Earths, it had such a major impact on, you know, the comic book world, the pu- comic book publishing world, I should say. You know, it it um it it showed people that you could take this continuity and fix it and make it work. Um, you know, that that characters that were thirty years old could still be relevant. Um, it, it showed that you could do a a title wide event let alone a miniseries. And it, uh, up to that point, that had never been done, you know? I think it's got its share, it's a fair share of failure in it too, which is, is one of those things where it's like, okay, they even tried some stuff that didn't work. Right. You know, like, um, uh, what was her name? Yolanda being the new, um, the new wildcat. It never went anywhere. It's, it's just, okay. It's just a dead end. Oh yeah, except that on the TV show Stargirl, Yolanda Montez is now Wildcat. Yeah, th- th- this is <laughs> this is now you know nearly thirty-seven right, years later. Yeah, so, yeah. so you're and that's that's what we call an Easter egg. So it's <laughs> that's in 
you know, well, I guess it, it goes more into other things, but, but yeah, I, I think the cool thing is about this, like you're talking about all kinds of different continuity coming together. How cool is it seeing, you know, Superman from earth Two fighting with Alan Scott, the original green lantern, you know, right. and, and they're fighting side by side to take down this brand new villain. That's huge. And they're all going to face you know certain death and i'm like this is really neat it's like having all your toys in a toy box and pulling them out and everybody's gonna fight the bad guy so right. it's it's, it's kind of fun oh yeah it's it was so satisfying and you know like i said it open when you read this it just opens you up to a whole world of other comics that you can go out and pursue that are pre-crisis that you might enjoy you know that I, I wouldn't have thought as a kid that i would enjoy although you had mentioned new teen titans and i'm pretty sure that was that was pre-crisis, right? I think it was, yeah. The whole brother Broad storyline. Yeah. yeah, I remember really enjoying that. That was one of the few DC comics that I really liked. I think because it was such an adult-oriented storyline. They they really went deep with a lot of that stuff, and they're getting into things like, um, you know, your your um, interdimensional or not interdimensional, but like um, like uh, Coriander, who's kind of like a refugee from you know, a, another planet where she's not sure where she belongs and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And you've got like your, your outsiders who are, they don't know how they fit in. And and then you get into something like the Judas contract. Oh, right. Oh my yeah. God. That's a heart wrenching story. Yeah. So and and every, I, I think that's after this. So and every time I, I want, um, I'm sorry, every time I see uh Deathstroke on a TV show, I want to see the Judas contract storyline. You know, and I think they're almost probably going to do that on uh, on Titans. I know they did. Um, they did do an animated film of that one as well. That's pretty darn yes. good. Yeah. But um, I hope with Titans that they continue it because I really like their version of Deathstroke. I yep. think he's pretty. I think he's pretty intense, and and he fits it better than say like a Joe Maginero who would be in the movie version. I like this guy. Like whatever he is, I'm like, I don't know why he, re he reminds me of Prince Humperdinck a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I, I know, like I like the um, Slade Wilson from the Arrow show. Oh yeah, so that was uh, what's his name from uh, Gannicus, not Gannicus, uh, the guy from Manel Bennett, right? Oh yes, yes, yes. yeah, he's good. He's good, and he's just gotten better over the years too. Where you see him, and he starts out as Crixus on, um, on, uh, was it Spartacus? And I couldn't think of that name, but you know, and you're like, okay, he's kind of this guy and all that. And I, yeah. I've seen him on so many things since, and I'm like, he has just gotten better and better. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the the movies and TV shows, we had the CW Network, which has been airing a series of DC related shows for quite a few years now, and you know they started with Arrow which is a show about the Green Arrow character. and uh, They spun off from that. They spun off The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Batwoman. Then you had Supergirl, which I think started on NBC and then moved over to the CW. It was on, it was on one of them, yeah. I think it, it yeah. was on like CBS or something. Maybe it was CBS, yeah. And then the CW also had Black Lightning. And, and basically all these shows have come to be known as the Arrowverse because Arrow was the one that sort of started the whole thing. And I think for six years they've been doing... Uh, a a season, I'm sorry, a series-wide crossover with most, if not all, of the shows, and of course, in 2019 and 2021, the crossover event was the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and 
you know, I, I think by its nature, it had to be different from the comic just because you had far less characters to work with and, and a, a smaller time constraint. I mean, you didn't you tell me, I think you told me off mic that the audio book is like 11 hours. Yeah, it's 11 hours. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> so, but I mean, if you have a long drive, it's it's totally there for you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I felt that the TV version, I was really looking forward to it. I thought it kept the spirit of the, and the flavor of the comic. What, what did you think? I liked it a lot, and and I think the little kind of uh, Easter eggs that they threw us were fantastic. You know, like oh, Bert, yeah. Bert Ward walking around. You know, holy, yeah. you know, red sky. You know, and right. Robert Wool from the Batman movie. Yep. So like the, those little things. Erica Durant shows up at two different roles. You know, That's so right. she she was Lois Lane, and and she was uh, uh, Laura, uh, was it Cara Zorel's mother? That's so, right. Yep. And it just kind of led to other things. And I'm a big fan of some of those shows. Like Black Knight Lightning was a great show. Oh, and, yeah. and at least the first two seasons were, were fantastic. And you're like, wow, there's no other show like this. It's not yeah. just a superhero show, but it's like, like, it's really good. And it captures like this whole dynamic that you wouldn't even think. And, right. And, and I like, um, I liked, I liked Flash because Flash is basically a retread of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it's like, okay, it captures the same essence in, in that, and it's fine. Yeah. I was a big fan of Legends, which is probably the least popular of the shows, but I, I really like the the mix of the characters on there. I thought that was pretty I fun. I do, too. I do, too. In fact, Brandon Ruth is now on The Rookie, and he's playing a completely different opposite character than to uh, than um, Ray Palmer. No kidding. Yeah. Is he's Nathan the... Fillion still on the show? Or oh, yeah. Finally... yeah. Good. No, he is The Rookie. He's yeah, the, he's the, the, lead. the guy. <laughs> That's I just a saw great something show. that said that he was he was getting uh, fired or something like that. So I'm like, oh man, what? what are they oh, doing? No. Not not like not. like like his character on the show. So it's all in the show. Oh, I'm yeah, like, what are they yeah. gonna do? That's his life. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm too interested in this. It's been good. It's been really good. It's one of the few non-genre shows that I watch. If there's not really any sci-fi, horror, superhero element to it, I, I chances are I don't have the time to waste on it. But I really love Nathan Fillion. I think he's awesome. Yeah, a great Green Lantern too. We we almost yes. got him instead of Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> wow, interesting. Well, maybe we'll get him as a as a better Green Lantern. You know, in a better movie. Which yeah, I like the Ryan Reynolds movie. What was wrong with that movie? <laughs> Uh, they picked the wrong villain, which is which is the problem. Um, they picked what's his name, uh, Henry uh, Henshaw, uh, Hank Henshaw, yeah. and and they had him, and he's really like he's a great actor. They they got uh, Skarsgård to play him, but they picked the wrong character, and aesthetically he's ugly, and it's just not a good fit. If they had Sinestro played by Mark Strong in the end, where we see him turn to the bad guy, that would have been a compelling film. Right. Yeah, that would have been good. the many misconceptions humanity holds dear is the fallacy that all beings are created equal. In truth, there are those who are greater. They are called heroes. But even among heroes, there are different echelons. The highest belong to those known as the Paragons. And they are the only hope all creation. There's a wave of antimatter sweeping across this universe. 
destroying everything in its path. If we don't stop the antimatter wave here, it will continue to the next universe. And the next, and the next. Until it has obliterated not only every Earth, but everything across all reality. Across space and time exist seven heroes. Beings of the purest will. Who can save the multiverse. Kara Zor-El. You are the paragon of hope. Sarah Lance is the paragon of destiny. I have only descriptions for the other paragons. You can ultimately defeat the Anti-Monitor. Okay. Who wants to meet Batman? Things are turning out differently than expected. Everything we know, everything there is, and everything there ever was, is doomed. Dying's the easy part. The dead are at peace. The real heroes are the ones who have to keep going. question about the tv show version of crisis which uh, basically for those who don't know at home we i think we've kind of covered it a little bit here but it was um you had um much of the flash season six was sort of the prelude to the crossover and then in the crisis uh the mo- well and also actually i think um they had an elseworlds crossover the year prior and that kind of set things up and like let them know that there were other earths out there so in this crisis you know you've got the monitor he gathers the green arrow the flash supergirl batwoman sarah lance and ray palmer um and a bunch of other characters to stop the anti-monitor because basically he's doing the same thing as in the in the comics he's going to destroy all the positive matter universes and so the result is that the universe after they defeat the anti-monitor everything gets rebooted and now black lightning and supergirl and all the characters are all in the same world together and it it kind of did the same thing i think for tv shows but on a much lower scale than that crisis did in the comics you know what i mean it's it's um it's absolutely true because supergirl lost her entire universe Right. So it was. It, it's funny because she's the one who dies in the comic, but she's the one that gets the the kind of the only one to survive from her universe. Right. In in her universe, she had like a whole bunch of stuff going on. Well, she's not the only one because we also got the John Cryer version of Lex Luthor, who was a pivotal character in that, and he is phenomenal. He oh, chews yeah. scenery like like no one else. It's so good. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is. Um, you know, with with these TV shows, like DC had basically cut everything down to one universe, but uh, in the comics, but in the shows, they didn't do that. They they start they set it off like they they made you think it was going to become one universe, but then the Paragon characters that are all on the same Earth now, they remember the crisis, but there still are other worlds out there. So it's like 
you know, in the 85, DC got rid of Earth 2, for example, but now Stargirl's on Earth 2, so the, the new crisis brought it back and brought the multiverse back. <laughs> See, I need to I need to watch more of that show. I've only seen the pilot episode, which was yeah. excellent. Um, really, really good actress that they picked for that. They got a Nickelodeon actress, and, and I mean, she was seasoned by the time she got there. She right. knew what she was doing, and that's a good show. It really is. It really is. And I was kind of surprised. I, I'm like, all right, let me check it out. It's probably going to be schlocky or anything like that. And I'm like, this is really good. So I was surprised. I think the the CW has been consistent with their with their quality on the shows. Well, Stargirl's along the vein, I think, of of Titans and Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol, although not as crazy as Doom Con- Con- yeah. Patrol. You know, I don't know what is, but um, it's they like they have that sort of project projection uh, or production trajectory where they're like, okay, let's take it here, as opposed to like the CW where it's like everything's gearing up to like you could probably predict what's going to happen here. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's like okay, we're going to reinvent Smallville again. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's more about like, oh, is Barry gonna tell Iris that he loves her, and you know, it's gonna, <laughs> you know, it's like you know what's going on, so it's like, oh, it's gonna happen, and you know, he's gonna almost tell her, and then find a date, and you know, there'll be a big bad guy to come and you know wreck his moment, and it's just like you, you know, that's gonna happen on on a CW show, whereas right, you have something right. we're Doom Patrol, and it's like, oh no, you're all swallowed by a donkey. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and and if you have never watched Doom Patrol and you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out on uh, yeah HBO on Max. HBO Max, and you will know what I'm talking about. Uh, that show is just insane, and it's funny because you know you've got the boys, which is not a Marvel or DC property, but that's I consider that a very heavy rated R superhero show. So this, you've got yeah. Titans and Doom Patrol, and they're not as heavily rated R. They're, Titans is like just sort of super serious and ultra violent. And Doom Patrol is super serious, ultra violent, and what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's really hard to kind of quantify what's going on there at times. Like, yeah. I don't know, because it's, it's very much a fairy tale and sci-fi and horror, you know, and yeah. like what's going on. And, you know, I was a fan of the post-crisis comic, which I think it was Grant Morrison that wrote it. And they... I did not think they'd be able to pull it off into a TV series, and they actually did. They lifted a lot of great storylines, and they've just they've made it work somehow. It's 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 this big bag of stuff that shouldn't work together, and it does. I, I think it's actually the best DC show that has been uh, put out there. Yeah. I mean, even going back to like Lois and Clark and and all the other ones, I think that this is if you if you could distill something down to the source material and say, hey, take a look at this. You know, because Gotham is not that and never was. And like I said, Lois and Clark and, and uh, even Arrow. And all. I'm not a huge fan of Arrow, but I like the other shows. Um, yeah. But man, Doom Patrol is just it's nuts. It's crazy. And it's like it has that spirit of the comic. Now, here's a question. Speaking of Arrow, the character of Lila in Arrow was Lila from, you know, from when she first appeared. I don't know if it was season one or two. Did they know from day one that they were setting her up to be Harbinger, or did that just happen to work out? I think they must have. I I, I figure that they must have had some sort of plan to do that at some point. Um, right. I don't think that they had planned to go that long with that show. But, I mean, they, they did, what, like eight seasons, nine seasons, something like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think anybody thought that it would go that long. You know, but that the numbers that it was getting and all that, it was just, it's so popular. Yeah. 
Yeah, personally, I loved Arrow. I, I, that, I that was my favorite of all the shows. I like John Barrowman, so I'll watch anything that he's in. Yeah, yeah Captain Jack Harkness. I, I'm not a huge <laughs> like I, I'm a I'm a Green Arrow fan, but I wasn't like a huge Oliver Queen from this. I would have rather had Oliver Queen Queen from uh, Smallville myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I loved Flash. Like I love Flash. I love like all the other characters. I love this. It's just this wasn't like my favorite of the bunch. Arrow. Right. Right. Yeah, I can see that. And what I love, though, in the, this crisis, though, is instead of because it's a TV show, you have to take everything from TV and movies and have them be the other Earths. And like you mentioned, you had Earth 66, which was they showed, you know, Robin. Um, what's his name? Burt Ward, who yeah, played Burt Robin Ward, yep. from from the 1966 TV show. And a lot of the Earths that these characters were on, the, the numbers had to do uh, either with what year they came out or something similar. So you had... Um, exactly, like Earth 89. Yeah. Yep, for that, Batman the movie. Came out Batman came out in 89, so. yep. And then, of course, like I said, 66. And then you had... Um, we see a Superman that gets killed by Lex Luthor on Earth 75. And that's a reference to a 1994 Superman issue number 75, which was the climax of the famous Death of Superman story in which the Man of Steel was killed by... I'm sorry, Doomsday, right. Yep. So in the comic, it was issue 75, he was killed by Doomsday, but in this, Lex Luthor killed him on Earth 75. Uh, the other piece on this that we haven't even talked about yet is how we finally had uh, the longtime voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, yep. show up as um, as Batman himself, as Bruce Wayne, in yeah. sort of a... Um, if if um, if someone's familiar with the story, it's, it's uh, Kingdom Come, and that's where we got the Superman from, the Brandon Routh Superman came back from, yep. which is... If I have a second favorite story after uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths, it's it's Kingdom Come, yeah. which is an amazing. That that's a whole nother episode. But yeah. wow, <laughs> you know. Um, but they brought that aspect in, so it's like it was literally a merge of my two favorite things. So it was yeah. so good. And, and Brandon Routh coming back, he was in, um, was it 2006? He was Superman in Superman Returns. Superman Returns, Returns yeah. And then he That's comes back favorites. and you're like, wow, he looks so good. He looks so much like Christopher Reeve. And, and he would, yeah. And you forget, he's big. He's like six foot three. Right. He fits this so much better <laughs> than Henry Cavill does. Oh, absolutely. And I like Cavill. I like what Cavill's doing and all that. But it's like, I liked Routh for the, for the look so much better. Oh, yeah. And there's just such good moments that they have in, in that uh, that crossover. And I thought he was phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. Even down to his costume, it was the um, it was like the Kirk Allen costume from the 1940s. Well, that and he had uh, it was black. He did that because uh, Captain Adam was actually split over Kansas and it caused this huge radiation fallout. And it just it decimated the pretty much like the grain belt. So that's that's when he had actually changed his S. Instead of having yellow, it had black in it. Oh, right, right, yeah. And I just mean, too, like the material, too, the way it had the folds. It wasn't oh, yeah, like spandex. Yeah. It looked like cloth. Yeah, it, it was cool looking. It, yeah. and it, it, it was, like, tailored for Brandon Ralph. <laughs> like, this is oh, perfect. Yeah. And he now, he, the movie he was in, Superman Returns, was a direct sequel to Superman 2. Although when they meet him in this episode... He he basically refer, references Superman three where he says this is the second time I've gone nuts and fought myself, so that was <laughs> that that was funny. Oh and the goodness. reason they called his Earth Earth ninety six was because in in Kingdom Come in ninety six the Joker basically I think in the show he, he says Lois. Yeah. Joker kills Lois Lane and destroys the Daily Planet and kills everyone there. 
and that that happened in Kingdom Come, right? Yes, that was that was why um, uh, Magog ended up taking over because uh, the public uh, court of public opinion determined that Superman wasn't doling out the uh, final justice that was needed to stop someone like a maniac like the Joker. That's amazing. And then we had Earth-167, where you had Tom Wellings, Clark Kent from the series Smallville, but the kryptonite doesn't work on him. And I, I actually never understood that until I did research for this episode. And um, they're basically saying it, it's probably, um, it was probably gold kryptonite, because that had been introduced at the end of, I think, the last season of Smallville. And Alan Moore wrote the last Superman story before the series was canceled, just before oh, the geez. crisis. The um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Yeah, and so they're I think, playing off of that story. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and, and I guess you know, Gold K basically, if you're a Kryptonian, it takes all your powers away. So maybe forever. in the in the Smallville, <laughs> yeah, forever. So in the Smallville yeah. universe, it makes sense that Tom Welling Superman would do that so he could live with Lois, which to me is a dumb idea, but. I could see it happening. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one of those things that was unsatisfying because if you watch the show, he only gets into the costume at the very last part of the last right. episode ever. So we're kind of like, we really were just kind of hoping and all that. I know. So, you know. <laughs> but I mean, that show was on for what? Like, 11, like it, it's so funny because Supernatural, which just ended, came out like in, in Smallville was on like season three. It just blows right. my mind. It's like, that's how long ago it was. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Justin, is there anything else you wanted to bring up about the crisis on infinite earths? I, I think they did a really great job on the TV crossover. Um, it's available in different parts. If you watch it on Netflix and I think it starts with, um, the, fl- uh, starts with the flash. And then I think there's Supergirl, arrow, um, Batwoman and Black Lightning that right. um, all kind of go into there. And then I think it goes back to the Flash after that. So you, you can check them out. You just have to get them. I wish that they would release like a DVD with all of them on it or something. Yeah. That would that would right. be great. Or just make it into a giant movie. That would be fun too. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'd say. I'd say check it out because if you're a fan of this story, first of all, go out and, and read this story. You can find it on Comixology. Usually there's there's some sort of sale. I think they do like DC every Monday. So you could find it there and you could read it digitally or you can buy it. You get the entire collected 12 issues with an awesome painting from Alan, um, or excuse me, from um, Alex Ross, from Alex Ross. (laughs) That would be a great thing. And I mean, read it, invest the time in it. It's it's beautiful work of of, uh, comic book literature. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I agree with you. And I I definitely felt that um, rereading it this time around made me want to go back and reread it again. I don't know why I haven't done this sooner because it's definitely worth checking out there, folks. So. All right, so Justin, where can the folks at home find you online again? Uh, you can find me, and um, if you're on Facebook, we have a group called Epic Shells. If you're a fan of anything that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle related, you can find me there. You can uh, check us out on the podcast uh, Geek Life HQ. So that's just Geek Life and then HQ. You can check us out there. That's more of an adult-themed comedy uh, if you're, you're into that sort of thing, sort of like a, a tell em Steve Dave if, if you're a Kevin Smith fan. Um, or you can check out, um, I have a page called The Fan-Tastic, so it's The Fan fantastic podcast you can find me pretty much anywhere that you can find um uh, podcasts awesome awesome well I, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this show i think it's um it's stuff that people should know about especially the crisis and its impact on the comic book industry and uh, justin i look forward to having you on again sometime soon thanks thanks roger 
Well, folks, that's all the time we have today for Then Is Now podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And you should definitely check it out. It's a great read. Now, remember, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos, as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Now don't forget to go wherever you download your podcasts from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com. Thank you.